Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, June 25th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 166. I'm your host, Austin Walker, and joining me today, Danielle Riendo, here in the studio. Hello! Here Hi. in the studio. How's it going? It's good. It's a beautiful day. It was it a beautiful it's like pride. The pr- it's a beautiful it day. It was a beautiful pride. It's a beautiful day. It's the right amount of heat without being too hot. It's yes. like good sun, but not too much heat. Yeah. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. How's the... Is it warm there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is summertime. That's uh, okay. It's in the northeast. <laughs> uh, um, mm. But, I, like, it has been unusually gorgeous. They keep saying there's going to be a heat wave, but they keep pushing it back. Ooh. So I'm trying to, like, suck up every last day of, like, mild sunshine yeah. and, like, partial clouds. I went yeah. hiking the other day. It was great. Oh, Awesome. Patrick, is it raining in Chicago? Is it snowing? What <laughs> What's happening in Chicago? Three squirrels and counting. Is what's Three happening squirrels? Three squirrels. Three squirrels. I think we're... Is that a season? Yeah, it is right now. It's the season that cost me $75 a squirrel on top of my roof. That's, that's <laughs> oh, the season. That squirrel I'm season's my favorite Young Thug squirrel, album. Squirrel season is expensive. <laughs> Wait, uh, you could pay a Huckabee like five bucks to oh shoot him with a rifle. <laughs> Just sit out there like, hey, you want you want to kill some animals? <laughs> sit out there like <laughs> Betty Draper. Oh, yeah. God. Bop. God. Five bucks. I'll show Ooh. this squirrel some civility. <laughs> oh. How's everybody doing? Is everyone feeling civil today? Uh, have some yo. civil conversation? Uh, Are we ready to... Anything but. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, we can't get into it. We'd just be the whole hour. It would be us just be like, did you fucking see? Did you... Can you believe? Did you read? The gall. God, I'm so frustrated with the world. Uh, but, you know, I'm not frustrated. Video games. There's a lot of them. I think we've all been playing a bunch of them. Who's been, who's been playing some new stuff? Anybody? So, someone's phone? Hello? <laughs> Is that like an 80s sitcom? I believe that's a postal locksmith. Hold on. Okay. Oh, oh that's Rob. Of course. I that a postal locksmith? <laughs> of course Rob has an 80s sitcom as Go- hey, Google. postal locksmith. Song. What's what a it? postal locksmith? <laughs> do the post officers, do the post officers is what I just said. I'm painting a very post-apocalyptic picture. What is a postal locksmith? The internet's not helping me with this. That doesn't sound like a real phrase. I've never heard that phrase before. But he before. said it with such... I, and I believe Rob. Rob's not... I mean, Rob's a lot of things, but... Hey, Rob? Hi, welcome back. What's a postal locksmith? Uh, so, when you live in a building, you can't just call a locksmith to come sort out your uh, mailbox if your lock gets busted. Okay. Because otherwise, what's to stop you from, say, you want to, like, snoop on a neighbor right. or it's not even your apartment. It's someone, like, you're stalking. So, you don't want people to just be able to call up a locksmith and be like, oh, I can't get into my mailbox. Can you just come here and crack this thing open? <laughs> so, you have to go through the post office to get a locksmith to come to your place. And they charge you a reasonable amount of money. 
uh, to seventy five dollars a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But then they're a little iffy on scheduling. I have a question. Did you know it was a post locksmith because it was like J pop elevator music playing? <laughs> was that, was that like what is? is that what they sound like? No, that was just a default ringtone that is obnoxious enough to get my attention. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like usually I keep my phone like off all the time. This is the one day I didn't want to miss a call. Uh, and of course they chose that moment. Perfect. Uh, rather than 11 a.m., which was when they were supposed to call. Uh, well, yeah, it is, it is 3 p.m. So You're right on time. Well, I'm not the only ones running late. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so video games. We're going to talk about some. How, how are they doing? People playing new ones? I played a happy game. What'd you play? Well, it wasn't all happy, but it was wistful. Okay. I played a wistful game. What'd you play? I played Don't Nod's latest. Vampire. The awesome adventure. Uh, no, not Vampire. They put out no, another even, new game. Even more recent. Okay. They put out two games this month. They That's did. Banana Pants. Um, okay. Was that the third one? Banana Pants? Banana Pants, yeah. Uh, the Awesome Adventures of Banana Pants. It's about a little boy uh, who wears banana pants. He's Captain Banana. That's I'm, his I'm now, superhero. I would believe you if you said this was true. <laughs> you play... This is basically the game, right? It yeah. really is, actually. So wait, what is it actually called again? Okay. Uh, it is called The Awesome Adventures of Captain Spirit. Okay. It is a Life is Strange, uh, sort of a miniature prequel-y, not necessarily a prequel. I don't want to spoil anything about the story, obviously. Okay. Uh, but it, what we saw at E3 is, you know, a good chunk of the game. We already talked about that a little bit, but it's but essentially... But they have said you'll be introduced to, like, themes and potential characters. Yeah. Yes. of so, Life is Strange 2, which they just announced as uh, the first episode starts in uh, September. Yes. Yeah, this is this is meant as a love letter to the fans and or uh, an entry point for new people okay. to, to play the series, basically. And you play as a little boy named Chris. He's about 10 or 11, I think, somewhere in there. I uh, have a kid, has... and I don't know how to do ch- children's ages, so don't feel <laughs> yeah, bad. Exactly. Looking... Like, like, he's could... 27. He could be 7. Uh, <laughs> he could be 13. Yeah, right. Like I, I don't know the difference, <laughs> and exactly. uh, I should know better. So don't don't fumble your words when you're trying to figure out what a kid kid's All age right. is. Because, uh, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, he lives with his dad, and he has a very powerful imagination. He really likes superheroes, and his alter ego is Captain Spirit, who is like a badass, you know, very... Uh, Traditional superhero. Like he has a, a lot of powers. Type yeah, he's character. like a supermany guy, and he can uh, bend matter to his will. That's okay. his superpower. So he cool. can manipulate objects, make things fly. You know, bust bad guys, kill them. I guess. Wow. Wait, he kills people. I mean, he kills bad, evil spirits. Okay. Okay. Like, so is this like a puzzle solving thing where you're like changing matter to solve puzzles or to like ex- explore or it's a little bit more exploratory they call it a, a sandbox like a very a small is it a, a finite sandbox? sandbox it is kind of because you can go through all kinds of little adventures with him and there's like an end state there's an end game okay but you can actually sort of go in and, and do all the adventures and awesome. all the sort of little side questy things uh basically he's uh hanging around his house on a saturday morning with his dad his dad gets drunk and watches the game there is clearly some sort of drama going on. Sure. They hint at uh, a few things, a few possibilities. Mom is not in the picture anymore. I think mom has died in some horrible fashion. I haven't done every single little thing, sure, sure. but that's very, like, very strongly hinted at uh, very, very beginning. Is it a situation where when I think about like Life is Strange, that's a game that's often about regret or about wishing you could change things, wishing you could do things a different way. Does this have a similar like thematic through line? Oh, yeah. 
Yes, what, absolutely. What is that thematic through line? I, I think the dad is is not the happiest person, okay. and uh, wishes maybe some things could be different. Okay, yeah. well, like as the and the kid is like, I wish I could change the world to be yes. better. Okay, he wishes he could be powerful and change the world to be better. That's sad. That's uh, good. But it's really, I think it's really well done. Uh, it's very short. You can get through it in about an hour, uh, and then you can kind of go and if you want to find some of the extra stuff. There's actually like a really cute little quest. Uh, list, but it's called My Awesome Adventures, and cool. it fills in as if he drew it with crayon, like when he did something. Like there is a quest. I'll I'll uh, say this part where you need to assemble all the pieces of Captain Spirit's outfit so that he can have superpowers mm-hmm. and use his imagination to do things like go into a scary room right, and fight right, a scary right, monster. Right. But it's really he's doing chores, he's doing things like cleaning cool. up the house, he's doing things like helping with the laundry, uh, and also having like cool adventures with uh, various objects. Awesome. So it's very cute, uh, very somber in some ways, certainly. There's a lot that's hinted at, and there are a lot of hints about sort of the previous game and the previous universe, and there were a lot of hints about, oh, what could be what could be happening mm-hmm. uh, in the next game. So, yeah. Cool. Really cool. Really cool. It's, it's free, now, and it's Because I am now. a child of the 90s, and I have a, like, a cultural yes. reference uh, point that's, like, you know, inch wide, basically. Like, when I looked <laughs> at this, I was like... This seems like maybe it owes a lot to Spaceman Spiff in Calvin and Hobbes. Sure. Like, what if somebody, like, made an entire game about sort of Calvin's inner life? Is there that that element, or is it more about the juxtaposition of reality versus the kids' fabulism? Yeah, I mean, it, that's in there a little bit. I, I think Calvin and Hobbes is a really good uh, sort of... Uh, reference point. Although uh, Chris is not nearly as like sardonic as Calvin, and he's not nearly as like uh, hilarious little consumerist, uh, <laughs> like uh, versus you know Hobbes's very uh, anti-materialist, humanist uh-huh. sort of perspective. So it's it's not really working on that level necessarily. But there is a lot of it that is. Oh, is this imagination or is this actually real? Is this actually how he sees the world? It's definitely playing with that quite a bit, uh, and it and it ends on like again, I won't spoil anything. It ends on a satisfying note, cool, uh, and is just a cool little adventure. They have not said anything about what Life is Strange Two looks like yet, right? This doesn't like end with like a bigger teaser about Life is Strange Two at all. I don't think so. This okay. feels like a side story that relates yeah. uh, to that game, and that's sort of I think how they posited it. I actually I have the review guide up here, and I think it yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what they call it. It's um yeah, blah, they, they blah, basically blah. don't spoil anything. Yeah, yeah. It's, they basically said that like this will give you insight into some of like what they're thinking about for Life is Strange okay. Two, um, and I think they said like the game will get fully unveiled in August, which conveniently times to Gamescom, mm-hmm. which, which is then a month from the launch of that game in uh, September. But you know, I haven't had a chance to play through uh, the the whole thing. I only did the the bit that we talked about for uh, E3. Um, but uh, I, I will say like it felt like they're they're stretching their arms thematically, but it feels very much like it has the same. Like, Life is Strange, sort of melancholy, nostalgic, uh, like, teen drama, but, like, in in a good way, sort of, like, like, you know, like, it's earnest and and emotional um, in a way that uh, a lot of games uh, aren't, um, and and not in an ironic sense, and this seems to keep keep in line with that. Um, You know, I thought Before the Storm was kind of rocky quality-wise, but I enjoyed... I just like the setup of of those games and how they play and how they interact and just their sense of humor. Where even when it's uh, extremely like cheesy, it's cheesy in a way that's like ah, like yeah. it, it, it feels right. earnest and earned in and in, 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 like in a way that's very difficult to pull off. Like it's easier to 
like most games are cheesy and then fall flat, or most writing is cheesy and falls flat. But I think this is actually cheesy because it comes from like a, an earned place, and they, there seems to be more of that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get some actual sort of. I'm excited to see them play in a different world. I'm really glad that it's the same universe because I, I like the nods. I, I like I want to know what happened to the characters um, from the first game, but I, I was not interested in sort of seeing like a sequel with them that's like, oh, and they find new powers and <laughs> they're forced in a new situation with those powers. I'm right. I'm glad that they're kind of just a care anthology makes a lot of sense for the type of game they built the first time around. So I'm I'm curious to see more of it. I'm gonna play the PC version tonight because uh, we got Xbox uh, code on Friday, <laughs> yeah. like not to be a snob, but like I, I, the choices like mean a lot to me, <laughs> and so I was like, well, I'll just wait for the PC version, which is free. Uh, they're all free, um, right. and and then so all my choices will carry over for because cool. they said some things you make a decision on in this. Um, will carry over in some way to Life is Strange 2. So i got to okay. make sure I've got Yeah, I can see how they will connect it. So. Interesting. Yeah, I, cool. I played it on Xbox. It was... I guess you got to play Life is Strange 2 no, on I, Xbox. I, I like or my you Xbox, replay so, on, you know. On PC, so. Yeah, I might, I might do both. It's cool. fine. It's an hour long. Like, it's, yeah, it's a that's, cool okay. little thing. That's, so. that's fun. Yeah. Uh, who else is playing something new? I know I know. Hollow Knight dropped on Switch. Patrick, have you, have you put some real time into that? Yeah, I I played maybe like thirty minutes of Hollow Knight when it came out on the, the PC um, because it it looked like my kind of thing, uh, and I will give almost any sort of Metroid influence game uh, a shot, but uh, it just didn't click. And but it was I, I should say I should rephrase. I don't think it was they didn't click. I just didn't have the time to put into it to really wrap my head around it, uh-huh. and then it just kind of got shuffled to the side as so many other games do, and like. Then I got increasing. Then I like I had a, a sort of an increased agitation over most of 2017, which was a Switch version was announced pretty early, but then it kept getting delayed. Like they were just still working on it, and still working on it, and that's a game that I w- thought like I had a pretty. I, I was suspicious that it would have been pretty high on my game of the year list had I given it like its proper due. Right. But I really wanted to play it on Switch because I had heard it was also not a short game. It was like a this is a game that we're talking twenty, thirty, forty hours, especially with the DLC. And so it's like okay, like in my life, like I, I can do those games, but I can fit in more of them if it's on Switch because I can find twenty minutes here or thirty minutes there um, in my life. And so I was like, I'm gonna wait for the Switch version. And so I was actually able to sit down. Uh, this weekend and play a couple of hours. And the thing that really intrigued me was I I don't I cannot unfortunately credit whoever said this on Twitter, but um, someone described the game as one of the first games to actually take the lessons of Dark Souls instead of just aping mm. Dark Souls, which I think is a very curious way of positing the influence of a game uh, yeah. like Dark Souls, um, where I think a lot of games have taken uh, you know animation priority and like. D- 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 Difficulty and like and and outright like Neo just taking the exact framework uh-huh. and putting it in a different setting with some twists. But there's like a difference between taking the lessons of Dark Souls and taking um, uh, so like whole cloth uh, mechanically how it is built. Um, right. I'm not sure if I'm far can enough. You, can to you sort speak of... about what that actually means? No, in play? I can't. I <laughs> can't. I'm still. That's what I'm very curious to. I mean, there are some in, uh, in some ways that I, I can speak to that, which is that. Uh, mechanically, it shares some similarities. When you you are you are collecting a currency that can used to purchase things in shops and to upgrade your character, uh, that stuff is dropped when you die. Then you have to go back, and in this one, uh, you have to uh, kill a little thing that you've left behind, like a little soul or whatever. Um, it floats around the room from where you did die, and you have to attack it twice in order to get that stuff back. So in 
in the pursuit of getting the experience you've dropped, you can die and thus lose that experience, mm-hmm. um, which is a, which is an interesting quirk. Um, and the 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 thing, uh, there's a lot of Dark Souls type uh, storytelling. I'll say it's a lot of uh, sort of like oblique, uh, like details, hints at world building without being as explicit. Um, as, as a lot of games are, um, in terms of the actual combat, um, one of the mo- more interesting uh, battles I had was one of this, bo- who seems like a boss, but ends up just being sort of this regular enemy. He just feels like a boss the first time you encounter them, because you have no idea how to defeat them, but then right. once you realize the trick, then it's like extremely simple, and then they just become like a regular enemy that you come across going forward like the game understands that like aha you have figured out what to do with this creature like now you shouldn't have any trouble and like specifically um the way the way it picks up on souls is like there are very specific animations and there are very specific tells for the character um but uh in a metroid style game you're often on the offensive you're kind of always like pushing on on the enemy and like dodging projectiles and what you learn from this enemy type is that if you if you jump over them, if you like, like hold back, like you're not actually finding. It's always got a shield up. There's no way to kind of get in like a meaningful attack. And then what I discovered upon like the fourth, fifth, sixth time I was fighting was that occasionally I would see it like attack me, and there'd be a small window where I could jump over and attack it from the back. But it wasn't clear how I repeated that. And so the puzzle of the fight was figuring out, okay. This is not actually about dodging. This is not actually all that much about timing. It was actually about kind of unlocking the puzzle of its this creature's movement. And what it ended up being was you just stand in front of it. And then you give it about mm. four or five seconds. And then, boom, it tries to go for an attack, which it's locked into, which is the window to jump over, stab it in the back. And then the solution to the enemy is just repeating that right, which eight is, times. Which is a video, which is like an NES-style yes. solution in some ways. But, like, when it's packaged with the rest of that kind of Soulsian uh, uh, structure, suddenly takes on some some new life. Um, I think two different – I can credit two different people with your thing of Hollow Knight yeah. is, the, <laughs> is the Souls-like uh, to take the correct lessons from Dark Souls – one, it could be Gary Butterfield, uh, who did Bonfireside Chat. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a podcast about that, and that passed or that like little line got passed around a lot. Two, okay. it, it could also have been Bruno Diaz, who wrote about this game for us at the end of the year last year, and made the case that Hollow Knight is to Souls likes what Spelunky is to roguelikes, mm. which is that it translates something deeper than just core mechanics and like takes the learn some lessons and brings it to a new format. And in making that in making that translation to a new genre, it's actually getting deeper at what the what the heart of the genre is, if that makes sense. Like going from uh, like a top-down, you know, roguelike thing in in to a two D side scroller in Spelunky, you kind of get to like some of the core ideas about what a rogue like or a rogue light is. And the same way, uh, he was making the case that like by getting rid of the third person action stuff, your Hollow Knight is able to kind of emphasize some of the other aspects of the Souls like games um, in ways that's more than just now it's sci fi, now it's right. Souls but it's Vikings, now it's Souls but it's samurai. And I'm not taking away from any of the games that do those other things, but his his case is basically like, by turning it into something that isn't just another third-person action game, you're able to kind of see some of the, the qualities that are deeper than just the moment-to-moment interaction that are about design, that are about aesthetics, that are, that are about like a, a sort of uh, uh, attitude of design. It's worth checking that piece out. And I'm piece. excited to now listen to the, the Bonfire Side chat episode on Hollow Knight also. Um, but yeah, game. or a third person could have told you that. A lot of it, it seems to be an idea that's in the I air. I think it was a third 
third person, but okay. it sounds like that's something in the air about that yeah. game. And, that, and that, 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 like, expanded explanation is very much in line with, like, what I had seen. And what got me, I was, like, that was scratching at the back of my head. And I was like, okay, yeah. like, I've wanted to play this, but now I'm actually going to, like, put in the time, like, let it get its hooks in me so that I have to keep pressing forward. And one thing I will give, like, fair warning, like, one thing that is consistent with Souls, like, not that this is uh, exclusive to Souls, like, this game is hard. Like, right. it is not right. an easy game. I think there are a lot of... Uh, Metroid-style uh, games that I would call them challenging as opposed to, like, actively and earnestly difficult. Um, and this one is very much like we're going to bat you around. Like, we're going we're gonna to push you around. You're going to hit walls um, in which you're really going to have to, <laughs> right. uh, like, dig deep and, like, study precise, like, what's happening in front of you. And that's not going to be for anyone. Like, I was going through... Uh, this morning, a bunch of like different like subreddits I check, and like there was one like very popular one on like the Nintendo Switch subreddit was like, "Y'all, Hollow Knight was is not the game that I thought it was," and like <laughs> one of the big uh, like threads there was about people like not quite understanding sort of like the depth of the challenge in the game because that is it is not just some Metroid inspired games are very exploration based and right. the combat is more just like hurdles you have to get through um in pursuit of the uh, the exploration like this is very much a hardcore exploration game in addition to being a hardcore combat game and the exploration stuff is really interesting because when the game opens uh you like there's no sense of what you're supposed to do like the game just says like ah there's like some, there's like some, there's like a world underneath where you're standing. Like, I don't know. Like, go explore it, I guess. And you just start killing things and you start collecting a currency. You don't have a map. Right. About like 45 minutes of the game, you will just stumble upon by accident, you know, or like, you know, I'm sure it's like slightly guided by the level design, but feels like you're stumbling on by accident, a map maker. Right. And then he sells you a map for that area. But then crucially, one of like the really smart, very cool design decisions the game makes is that, uh, so you uh, can buy a map for the area that uh, that uh, fills out in, like, pencil form, like, what is around here. Then you still have to go and explore it yourself for, like, the map to fill in. And, like, there'll be maybe be specifics, like uh, some sort of iconography or there'll be a, a shopkeeper right. or some other special thing. That, you, that is filled in by you and actually discovering that yourself. But on top of that, you only – that uh, when you discover something, like, you know that it's been marked on the map. But you actually have to go to a rest stop, a checkpoint that is littered throughout the environment, sit down, and then the game pencils it in for you while you are saving. So even though you discover something, you need to then uh, make your way to a checkpoint and, like... There's a little animation where the, the very cute creature like takes out um, a pen and takes pad. Out a pen, oh, you, and you have to so buy, there's an item called uh, like the pencil or whatever, and like so you can't add, actually you can buy a map, but you can't ins- you can't inscribe new information to the map right. until you get. Uh, a pencil, and then you can buy little badges that like let you fill in like more oh, specifics cool. on the map. Um, and it's, uh, I think that little touch itself of sort of how it handles the map um, early on, I think illustrates sort of like the deep attention to detail in the game's mechanics, like without even having to go into all the other stuff. Like, I think that little detail of like how they handle map making and map details, like, I think. Uh, speaks more holistically to the design framework of Hollow Knight. Like, it's, I, I'm, it's I'm really, really enjoying it so far. It's funny I hadn't made this connection before, but based on the description you just made, I'm realizing this game also feels like a sibling or a cousin to SteamWorld Dig 2, mm. which has... Great a, game. W- right, and which also is about delving down and finding stuff mm-hmm. and having interesting you know, powers that let you, you know, navigate the world in, in new ways. <clears throat> but 
is a little more guided in that opening bit where it's like and is is a lot more like hey first steps second steps and eventually it does kind of open up to a moment where you're like I got a lot I could go try to figure out how to do and a lot of little challenges challenge rooms and a lot of directions where my map is blank but that opening the opening salvo is like all right baby steps start digging there's a place you have to go to not too far from here and that contrasts with the hollow knight version of this which is like yeah, okay, go down. I, I, you could go You go any direction you want. There's got to be stuff. Have fun. Good luck. Um, and, and I think that's an interesting comparison. But, but also that there's definitely a shared heritage there in the, in the kind of Metroid-style exploration and stuff like that. Cool. I'm excited to play it. It's on my Switch. I keep meaning to get to it and keep getting distracted because there's so much right now. It well, takes also, about, it takes about right. 90 minutes, uh, and then and then I think you'll get a sense of like, w- whether it is for you. Sorry, cool. Daniel. No, ahead. no, it's cool. Um, I, I, all I was going to say is that I played like four or five hours of it last oh, year wow. and awesome. loved it and loved it, loved it, loved it, and we'll probably restart it on the Switch just because it's... It's convenient. It's right there. It's convenient. <laughs> I can play oh, it on the and it's, it's such a good port. Like, it, oh, I mean, yeah. uh, it, it, it feels so natural on there that I am glad that I have waited to, to play it this way. I mean, I'm sad that I wasn't able to champion it, uh, you know, last year if it was a game that deserved something like that. But, well, now it's on Switch, which means it's a new release for me, which means I can still end up on my list at the end of the year if I end up liking <laughs> it. That sure. That's how it works. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Rob, you wrote about a game today. Uh, yeah. That I looked at and was like, "Oh, that looks like a lot." Uh, but you <laughs> opened this thing by saying, "Like, I've never lost a game," uh, and this is Manhattan. No, I said I had a perfect record. That's what's the difference? Oh, there's a difference. <laughs> well, I've never won a game. Is the thing I see. I am, I am unvictorious. I am. There you go. I am the Cleveland Browns. Like, we are... Oh, Rob, don't be that hard on yourself. (laughs) You're right. Like, ultimately, I'm about improving in this game, whereas the Cleveland Browns, like, that's not the... You're at least acknowledging what you are and try to move forward. The Browns are the Browns. Trust the process, Rob. You'll get there. Uh, yeah, so no, I've been playing. I was playing the Manhattan Also, sorry, Dad, who is a big Cleveland Browns fan. (laughs) But you know what it is. Oh wow! Anyway, How'd that end up happening? He, I think I've told the story. He's from North Jersey, and he was a Jets fan as a little boy. And he saw the Jets play the Browns, and the Browns just played so hard. They didn't win that game, but they played so hard. And he was like, "I'm a Browns fan now." And that That's was terrible. You know, a long, a long time ago. You know, so sorry, oh my Austin's God! So I, he's he's a loyal. He's I love his loyalty to the Browns more than. Anything, and I love my dad a lot for a lot of reasons. But one, I love his loyalty to the Browns because he's had so many opportunities where he could have jumped ship. <laughs> you know, and he'll root for the Eagles because I'm an Eagles fan, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And it's AFC and NFC. He has division. other things going on. Totally, yeah, yeah. totally. But he is a Browns diehard. Wears a Browns hat. Has a Browns banner in his house. Aww. Like. Uh, has never. I, I don't know. He if didn't he's take ever, the Ravens off ramp. No, that's that what I'm random. saying. He uh, didn't take uh, the Ravens off ramp, and then you know what happened. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm sorry, Dad. Anyway, <laughs> tell yeah. me more about Manhattan Project. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a worker placement board game. Which if you're not familiar with those uh, worker placement games, tend to be about there's different spaces on the board that let you take different actions within the context of the game. But those spaces are usually like once they are occupied by one player, they are occupied and other people can't use them until 
some kind of reset happens. So that's generally the dynamic uh, this game follows. This is an older game. It's not a super new one uh, at all. And I was playing the original version, uh, not the expansion, which gets much more. Um, it's sort of your quintessential more stuff for more stuff's sake expansion. Mm-hmm. But basically the dynamic of this game is there's the center board that everyone draws from that are like common actions, and that's where you sort of begin your turn. But then you build your own... Uh, Manhattan Project, basically, your own your own infrastructure where you build universities, uh, you know, engineering facilities, that sort of thing, and then you can play any number of actions on your board, provided okay. you got the spaces. So it's about building like the most powerful arms research and manufacture engine uh, that you can you can use to win the arms race. Love how worker um, placement games can be about anything. You want to do like. A D&D game where you put little cubes on various parts of a fantasy map? D- worker placement game. You want to do a game where you're making nuclear weapons? Worker placement game. All the same. Little plastic <laughs> cubes will get you anywhere. Um, yeah, so the thing is, I'm pretty bad at it. Uh, and there's probably some common threads to my defeats. For instance, the game is really not about launching bombing campaigns. But that is an and option yet, that you can do. You can go yet. bomb other people's boards. <laughs> uh-huh. And so I do. Uh, and nobody else does, and they win. So really, it's a bad strategy. But I am like, ha, I'm going to destroy your uh, Manhattan Project from the air. Uh, and then while everyone else is trying to you know, get out from under the, the rubble, I will win the game. I never do. <laughs> uh, and it's actually very easy to counter uh, my bombing campaigns just by building fighters, um, and yet I keep trying. The other thing I tend to invest in is um, spies, uh-huh. where you get to go use other people's boards. Mm. Uh, so they build facilities, and then you just send workers over to their board. And one, you take the spot away from them. And two, you've used their space for your own ends, uh, which is really satisfying to do. But again, not that probably better off yeah. building your own just, shit. Just build your own shit. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, but yeah, I can't. Every time I finish this game, I always just get my ass kicked, and I'm always like, "We'll get him next year." That's <laughs> totally my response to this game. <laughs> next time we need to arm up. We'll, it'll be great. Always running an Americans campaign. That sounds. Yeah. That sounds about right, Rob. I yeah. See you. That's All so right. good. Um, the second thing you told me about is uh, you pitched it to me as what if company of heroes but vikings it's called ancestors legacy mm-hmm. is that right not an yeah. apostrophe i assumed it would have an apostrophe s like oh your ancestors legacy but no it's <laughs> it's ancestors legacy like a ubisoft game or something holy hell i've been mentally adding an apostrophe like i just did open steam i was like yeah that can't be right it's extremely it? right yeah. That is very yeah okay so ancestors legacy what kind of ancestors we don't really know just ancestors Viking general, ancestors right they had yeah. ancestors yeah uh, yeah and so this this very much is uh, it, it wears its company of heroes like DNA on its sleeve like one of the key dynamics is that you can bail out of a fight with your troops and just hit the retreat button and they will go running like hell back to base uh, where they can sort of replenish um, I don't know it's I like. It's a cool game in a lot of ways, but I don't know if it's a very good <gasps> RTS. You know okay. what I mean? Like, yeah. As an RTS, it seems very ho-hum in a lot of ways. Like, I've yet to see anything 
that makes me feel like it's as good as Company of Heroes or even is is nearly as ambitious. But it's kind of a cool looking, grimdark Viking RTS. Like right. if you like burly dudes murdering each other in the driving rain with like spears and swords, uh, and really well detailed uh, like oh, yeah. armor I, and shit. I have a video up for Danielle and I to look at, and you were like, if you like burly dudes with swords and spears running through the, right, like literally the sequence on pouring. our screen, it's, it's pouring. pouring rain. <laughs> so you nailed it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what they lead with, uh, and that's that's kind of the game. Uh, I'm can still... you only play as Vikings, or can you also play as like people being raided by Knights Vikings? And Knights, ninjas. ninjas. That's for honor. That's for honor. Damn right. You're <laughs> right. Sorry. Good. Good. So catch. I must have just been playing the campaign, the first campaign, which is uh, like literally off from the Viking standpoint. But there are other factions within the game. Uh, now I don't know how differently they're going to play. I'm really curious about that part. Uh, but like, there's there's nods toward like more Germanic people. Sure. Uh, m- you know, more uh, you know Anglo, Anglo, like British. Yeah. Uh, well, so I have a yeah, question. Saxon. Yeah. There's a right. guy with a scythe. There was a guy with a scythe. Uh, here's my question. is like I think about Company of Heroes. For people who don't know, Company of Heroes to me felt like a complete rejuvenation of the RTS. Um, or I guess like that's that model of cover-based, like small squad-based RTS that was not about base building as much as it was about – I mean there was base building in it. There absolutely was. But like it didn't feel like I was doing micro so much as I was – positioning my units tactically. Um, so I uh, you know, almost think of it like on a scale from like total annihilation or, or planetary annihilation where there's like thousands and thousands or hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of units on screen to on the other end where you're almost all the way to like XCOM where it's about I'm going to move this one unit or, or at Dawn of War or something, Dawn of War 2, where it's like I'm going to move these four units or whatever. Uh, um, uh, Company of Heroes had this kind of like tactical, slightly slower, slightly more about positioning and cover and putting people into buildings. How do you do that in a game where you have axes and swords? Or, or is there some other comparison you, you want to make between the two? No, that's not a bad one. Uh, the way you do it is flanking bonuses, charge bonuses mm, matter a lot. So, okay. like, there's a lot of order of operations just in managing an engagement. So, like, you'll want your shield wall troops to just stand and absorb a charge. <laughs> right. And then you want to make sure your other troops, like, loop around to the side or the back and hit there. Because they're going to get damage bonuses um, and like maybe cause the enemy to rout. Gotcha. The other thing that they've done is there's you know there are some just really punishing decisions uh, in this game. Your archers, if they are positioned like behind your troops and are firing into a melee, are going to hit your soldiers. Oh wow! Uh, so you need to micro your archers like crazy to make sure they have a clear-ish line of okay. fire, uh, so they are not just like plinking your guys in the back of the head right. while, while they're fighting some Saxons. Uh, Great. So that's kind of how they do it. Is there's some unforgiving touches here? Cool. Um, I'm curious. Did that just come out on Steam? Uh, it's it's like a month ago. From before E3, okay. it was okay. one of those like you know it was late spring releases, and then uh, so and it goes. Then, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have one thing to to hit real briefly, and I'm upset that it's really briefly because if I liked it a lot, 
this would be a whole segment, and instead it's going to be, be me going like... Hit it briefly? Is don't... That... No, no, that's new games. We talked about Mario Tennis last time. We'll talk about that's Mario true. Tennis. Sorry. So peek back the curtain, I was like, we'll talk about all the new games we played first, then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back and catch up on games we played last week and talked about. But uh, New Gundam Breaker... The name of the game is New Sounds Gundam great. Breaker. <laughs> Gundam Breaker 3 was really... Okay, let me just so really you high make level... make Gundams and you break you them do, in half. Yeah, yeah. So it is do. a Gundam model-based... All right, so in the world of Gundam TV shows, there are a bunch of different like sub-universes and blah, blah, blah. One of them, two of them actually, exist in a world in which you have like Pokemon-style fights with toy gu- with model Gundams. Okay. You build your model Gundam, and you take it to like a Gundam center, and you fight with it. And it's kids. That's really good. It's yeah, really cool. good. Like, it's genuinely that's fucking cool. a great premise. It's a fantastic premise. Because are there it, toy tie-ins by chance? I mean, there are, regular Gundam already has toys. This is like closes yeah. the loop, right? Like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gundam as a show, historically, one of the reasons it's been successful and one of the reasons it touched anime so deeply is it was a great vehicle for toys. And specifically for Gunpla, which are Gundam plastic models. Pla oh, is plastic. Uh, and oh, I thought that was a corruption of Gunpla. No, no, it was not. It's Pla as in Pla, plastic, plastic. I get it. Um, so, Pla, says Natalie <laughs> off mic. Um, so, you, uh, in the Gundam Breaker games, they exist in a universe sort of like the, it's a different one again, the, the TV shows where there are kids who build Gundam models and then fight with them, and you get to do it. You get to, like, bash together all the different Gundam kits, and you're like, oh, I really want to take Gundam wings, uh, uh, you know, cool, like, green torso thing like gem thing and put that on the goof customs at you know, whatever you know what i mean like and all the different kiss. and make him well, no yeah, there's no kiss. kiss well so the new one has kissing in maybe a different way which i'll get to um <laughs> the thing is these actually they turn into action games which are something between in play again i'm going to do this like scale on one hand you have something like gundam versus which is this like or virtual on which is this like very intense fighting game where you're really you care a lot about trajectory and boosts and like what your boost gauge is at and like making sure that you have enough energy to do cool cool attacks and you're it's like a fighting game like you know dash canceling and stuff and on the other end you have something like dynasty warriors gundam which is something square 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 triangle triangle square triangle triangle and i'm just killing thousands of enemies and gundam breaker games have been kind of right in the middle they feel like beat-em-ups you build a cool mech you then fight a bunch of things in your cool mech and they're kind of fan servicey in that sense this one is made by a new developer it has new in the front, the way that certain, you know, in Japan, sometimes a new, a game will, will be recreated and they'll be like, oh, this isn't Dynasty Warriors, this is Shin Dynasty it's Warriors. This is Dynasty new, Warriors. this is not, right, this is new Dynasty Warriors. Oh, this is new Gundam Breaker. And it sucks. It's so bad. Aww. It's like janky in ways that, like, I haven't seen in a, in a major AAA game release in a long time to where, like, you don't have to have seen a lot of giant robot anime to know that a thing that happens in giant robot anime is that a mech launches from, like, a launch pad, and it's like, it'll be like, you know, Austin, launching, or whatever, and then the, and then the mech launches. In this, before every mission, it does that, except... It's a camera shot of, like, where your mech is supposed to be. And sometimes it's not loaded in yet. And I don't mean, to be clear, I don't mean that 
it hasn't shown up visually in the sense that like it's there, but it ha- the texture hasn't popped in. I mean, it exists in the game world, and it hasn't yet been moved into where the launch pad is. So sometimes you see the game like, oh shit, uh, the Gundam's supposed to be over here, and it's like yanks it from off screen, and you could just see the legs like fall into place, <laughs> and the camera moves in a bad way. Like the presentation level is just completely trash. Um, the sound dips out sometimes. As a as just like a piece of software, I've had five or six second freezes in the middle of combat. Not stutters, not frame rate dips. Just like, oh, it's frozen for five seconds. Cool. Um, and the combat feels so bad because it's the biggest thing for me is they they two big things. One, they got rid of the dash canceling, which in a game like this, or think about like a game like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta, if you want, where like you're doing a combo and then you can dodge roll out of the combo. Uh, in this, it's like you're doing your ba ba ba, and they're like, oh shit, something's coming in, and you want to hit the the dash button to do a cool boost dash to the side. You can't. You're just in your attack. So it's almost more like something like like uh, the Soul style of really you know um, uh, discreet attack animation. Very, very not precise either. It's just clunky, and but at the same time, the match, the fights are not like one-on-one duels. They're these like thirty or forty characters on screen, which is more than the system can handle. It's terrible. It's so bad. <coughs> um, the we need prob- a new new. It sounds like it's killing you. It is it killing you. Oh. And here's why: because the story setup's really good. You're the new kid. You've shown up to the Gundam Academy, like the Gundam Model Academy school. Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. So it's a school for making the models, not for being a pilot? Not being a pilot, because it's, it's our world. It's Earth. There, are no, gun, there are no mechs, right? Okay. Um, it's yet. Yet. Uh, exactly. yet. Well, that might come up. We could see. Who could, who could say? And the story genuinely is, years ago, everything was cool at Gundam Academy, whatever the name of the actual place is. I forget the actual name that they call it. But um, and then there was a coup among the student council and there had been a really egalitarian student council. And everything was about the joy of and the camaraderie of building together. But the new kids came and they overthrew the school council uh, and they defeated them in a fight. And no one trusted the old school council. So then there was an election and the new school council, who were a bunch of fucking egotistical, like gatekeepers, not just gatekeepers, more than that, because it turns out what they said was here's what they said. They were like, we need the the purity of combat and and people who work work for it, those are the people who should be rewarded, not just people who are creative, not your elites, not just... And so they swept into power, and it turns out, actually... Actually, they are like the children of real life powerful political figures. They have all these connections throughout the school with all the different cliques and have built like this terrible swampy political like uh, swampy. I, I'm just throwing words out there right now. So it's a neoliberal meritocracy of like right so, revolution. Like, they add a ranking yeah. system. There previously hadn't been a ranking system, and now you get ranked as how good of a combat pilot you are. And if you're low, you have to listen to what anybody above you says. And, and Use all your meow beans. It's all, it's all, yeah, a hundred percent. And of course, on top of this, all of this is delivered as a visual novel that has three different routes tied to three different girls who are in the Gundam Club with you. And like one of them is Sundere, and just like really is like she's really like not like kind and, and quiet until she's in a match. At which point she's like, I'm gonna fucking tear their heads off. They don't know what they're gonna get. And she's amazing. There's like a ditzy one who falls asleep inside of the inside of the Gundam like VR cockpit. Then there's like the girl next door. They're all great, and I love that bullshit. I love this like Gundam high school bullshit. <laughs> 
so much. The game itself is such trash <laughs> besides the visual novel part, and it breaks my heart. So oh. what I'm hearing here is that you're actually going to force yourself to play no, through this piece of I'm shit. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. My other question, not. having heard that, mm. yeah. what if it were patched? Could it become good? It could, if it could somebody be. Somebody patched a lot of that, like the delays, the missed animation cues. But what, like, but what if they know Gundam fans will buy this well, anyway, so, and they'll just make a sequel? This is the thing that this is the thing that is actually genuinely upsetting for me. Is mm. in the era of the PS2, they released a bunch. Bandai Namco released a bunch of Gundam games of mixed quality, but they were doing really cool experimental stuff, ranging from the fighting game style stuff like Gundam Versus to things um, that were like almost tactical action games. Uh, there was a PS2 game uh, called Zeonic Front, and Zeon is one of the major um, factions in the, the world of Gundam, uh, and Zeonic Front was like, what if Rainbow Six but mechs? Like, you plotted out your Rainbow Six style, like, or OG PC Rainbow Six. You plotted out your attack for Rob me. Rob is very you, excited. Rob is bouncing up and down. <laughs> and you were playing as, like, the bad guys. You were playing, like, as, as basically the Rommel part. Like, oh, they're really bad, but you're playing, like, the good, the, the part of them, like, you know, they're just focused on being good soldiers. You know, they don't, they don't have the bad politics associated with them. They're kind of noble. Uh, and so, like, for me, that was a great age. They were just tossing Gundam games out, but none of them fucking sold. And so when the PS3 era hit, they released Gundam Crossfire, which was trash. And then they never localized a single Gundam game besides the Dynasty Warrior ones for years across the PS3 and the Xbox 360. The last year is the first time they've started bringing Gundam games back out. So yes, Patrick, people like me are going to buy this game to support mm. Gundam. Uh-huh, yeah. To try to encourage oh, a, them mm. to keep bringing oh. these games out. And it sucks. We shouldn't do uh -huh. it. Don't buy this game. If you like Gundam games, go import the Malaysian version of Gundam Breaker 3, because <laughs> okay. that's in English fully, 100%, and it was better than this is. Sorry. That was supposed to be short. We should take a break. I'm going to link you to some uh -huh. videos of Zeotic Front, Rob. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And we are back with, uh, we talked about the new games we played. Let's talk about a little bit, at least, about some of the ones we touched back on. I mean, this is actually going to be brief. Uh, I had we had a great stream this morning uh, in which we played some Mario Tennis Aces. It was me and Natalie Watson and Joel Fowler, Waypoint's publisher, and also Ricardo Cotto, who has joined us as a social social editor, taking up Danica's sword and stepping into her shoes, uh, at least for the next month or so. It's yeah. kind of a, a fluctuating position. We'll see how things, not just how things go with Cotto. I I'm, have nothing but faith yeah. that Cotto will do great. It's more whether the company lets us hire a person. That's the... Oh, it's like a bunch of things. It's like, yeah. it's that, Many but things. it's also 
so it's a what's bunch of designs we look like. Uh, what's what? Yeah, yeah. What are what is our structure? Like, yeah, that's we're, we're all. We're making some here. big moves. We're making some big like yeah. pitches in the near future in terms of like shape and structure. And so a lot of that will, could change things a bunch of different ways. So, but very thankful for Kato, and Kato is very good at that game. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's fair to say Natalie and I stepped away, champions, huh. duo champions. Huh. That'll be going up on the YouTube right, so probably you'd tomorrow. Say you're aces. We're aces. tennis aces? Yeah, Good. we're tennis aces. Uh, it was, uh, I think that, that game in multiplayer is really good. So last week I'd kind of said like, eh, I'm not really sure the single player has enough. I wish there was some more tutorialization. Um, and I had had the review written, like 100% had it written, like down to 90% of it or something. It's like, I need like three more paragraphs or something. And then the servers came online and I finally got to play that game multiplayer. It's really good. It's like... I just, you know, you can go back to last week to hear my basic pitch on it in terms of, like, the fighting game stuff, in terms of, like, it having energy bars and stuff like that. I will say, Patrick, you had some reservations. You were like, I really wanted, like, Wii Tennis but more. And we played mm-hmm. Simple Mode today at length, which gets rid of some of, like, the special bars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you might really like that mode. Um, hmm. It is competitively so good. Getting the rallies up, getting to like have these like back and forth battles, um, starting to read your opponent a little bit in terms of like where they're going to place the ball, or are they going to try to drop shot it so it just lands right in front of the net and like get to rush up and grab it. That stuff is so fun and so rewarding and just feels so crisp. You know, I, I'd say like there's there are a couple of times in the last week that, where I've been like I thought I should have hit that ball, but I didn't. But beyond that, like it, it has been such a good time um, that I have like. I ended up recommending it way harder than I thought I would. I thought I'd be like, eh, the basics feel good, but there's just not enough meat on this bone or whatever. Video games. Video games. Dot internet. Dot review. Seven point five out of ten. It does seem like it's like pretty contingent on you being interested in playing. Seven yahoos out of ten, <laughs> or whatever. Okay. There it is. Yeah. yeah that's it. It was. It was just. Uh, Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So but yes, what you just said is true, which is like you want to. You need to want to be able to play multiplayer here. You need to want to play multiplayer. If you don't want to play multiplayer with this game, probably not for you. Unfortunately, yeah. I really wanted it to be that that like old Camelot style of single player RPG yep. where you're leveling up and making choices about what stats you're getting and like or like golf story, but tennis mm. would have been yeah. dope. Uh, but it's not that. I still think it's worth playing. Um, because it just feels so good, and I, I, even though I'm not a big multiplayer person, like not only am I not a big multiplayer person, I'm really not a big like p- sit around a couch play with my friends multiplayer person at this point in my life. And we did it this morning, and I had a great time. So, yeah. well, they've also gotten away from, as I understand it, it's not like an ELO system they're using for matchmaking. You're, you're sort of always mm-hmm. being put into virtual tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I think a lot of one thing that always puts people certainly puts me off a lot of multiplayer systems is that. You get in that multiplayer grind where it's like the system is designed to over time match you with people where you'll win 50% of the time and lose 50% of the time. Otherwise, you're not properly matched. But the problem with that is that feels shitty. Because that, like, one, going one for one still doesn't feel great. It's tough to feel like you're improving. But two, uh, that doesn't rule out the fact that you'll have these streaks where you just get, like, fucking stomped three times in a row in your host. I think. Tennis Aces is doing sort of a like a 
make-believe bracket system where you're being matched with people who are on simple like winning streaks. So um, that is what it seems like. Yeah. So it's like if you enter a if you enter a tournament, you enter tournament mode, and you haven't played, uh, or you're coming off of another tournament mode like set, you go against someone who's at 0-0 in the tournament, who has no wins yet, no losses. I mean, once you lose, you're out of the tournament. You have to start over. Um, but it's a, it's a faux tournament, right? Like, it's just pulling from all the players, right? And so if you win, you advance against to play against someone who has beaten one other opponent. And if you win again, you advance to play someone who's defeated two other opponents. And that only happens four times, I think. I think the next... I think if you go 4-0, or if you go 5-0... I think you win that tournament. You get a bunch of points added to your ranking, and then you start over. Now, what I don't know is, is it adding those points to your ranking? Is it also trying to match you based on points? I have no idea. Like, if I end up with, like, 10,000 points or something, is it going to try to match me in round one against other people who have between 8,000 and 12,000 points? Like, I honestly don't know. And if it is doing that, it has not communicated that at all. Um, I just I, – I, I'm just shocked that the moment-to-moment stuff feels as good as it does, which or maybe I shouldn't be. It's Nintendo. Nintendo, like, really uh, – and it's Camelot. And, and those are two, you know, groups that really do prize game field quite a bit. But, but, you know, uh, still really great. Nice. Um, we'll see. We'll see, like, if it has a tail. I'm curious a month from now where it's at. Uh, I'd like to see some more support for competitive stuff and for, for casual stuff, too. Um, who else? Who has something else that they're, they're, they want to check in on that they've been playing over the last couple of weeks? People should play Vampire. Did you I it? need to. I don't have a lot to say about it. It's just – it's a if, – if you are bored with video games right now and you want to take a risk on something that's a little bit frustrating, a little bit strange, and you'll constantly be going, ah, I wish they made a slightly better version of this, but probably that better version couldn't exist, and so you should just like be happy with like the weird the thing that it is. Yeah. It's, yes. it's honesty. Like, you know, Who says there can't be honesty in sales? <laughs> oh. it's, it's, yeah, it's not a sales pitch as much as like it's a weird game that I, I – I wonder if everyone else has had games that you find yourself just, like, drawn to, and yet if you were to put down a bullet point list of, like, the good and the bad, you'd be like, this game is probably not great. But, man, like, the things that it has and are just, like, so – I found myself so drawn to it. It's it's a frustrating game to play. I hate running all over the map. There's no fast travel for no good uh-huh. reason. Most of the game is about interacting with NPCs, but they don't let you mark those NPCs on the map, and they just go to random locations, so you just wander around <laughs> hoping you'll run into them. Like, the game's 30-hour length is probably, like – 11 hours inflated because of a lot of this bullshit and yet like the interaction between characters like the character you play the main Mm storyline the way different uh, uh, sort of like modern sort of political threads are woven in like this weird um, uh, era uh, that that you're running around with it's just the the parts that I like about Life is Strange like interesting characters that are like played very earnest like that part carries over here the tone is like completely different Um, but it, it has that part of what it is, I maybe is becoming part of like a sort of like a collective DNA thread for Don't Nod and the kind of stories they want um, to tell. And uh, yeah, if I just recommend some people to maybe not a game to pay full price for, but it's a game that <laughs> sure. I I have find like very. Just, I'm just fascinated by it. It's I, what I keep coming back to. Like the moment I have free time, like my kids taking a nap, I should probably go pull weeds out in my backyard. <laughs> that shit adds Instead. up. But you know what? Like, what if I go and investigate this bomb site in Vampire and Ooh. see where that quest leads? 
It was not satisfying. It wasn't particularly good. There were just dead squirrels. Quest, but yeah. yeah. Other ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they would have been blown to pieces. Yeah. But, God. Uh, it's, yeah, it is the definition of a game that, uh, like, w- reviews poorly, probably. But it just has something that I think more people than they would assume would, would find something in it to, to really right. enjoy. And so I, I'm, like, 20 hours in and probably have, like, another five to six to go and have really, really enjoyed my time with it. I'm hoping to find... Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the Life is Strange and then hopefully have time to finally sit down and kind of put into more articulate words, like... Why this is why working this for you, has, yeah. Yeah, why it's working uh, for me, but uh, I definitely would recommend it to folks if you're just looking for something different. Right. Like, Vampire is, like, absolutely something to take a chance on. Cool. Uh, Danielle, you've been continuing to play yeah. some Onrush? Yeah, I'll check in briefly with that. I, I'm writing a tiny thing okay. uh, for tomorrow about Onrush, uh, but, you know, the pitch being it's a racing game where just getting from point A to point B fast is not really your goal. You're right. on a big, big level with a big team, and you're scoring points in different ways. Yeah. You might be, like, a support class. You might be somebody who needs to do tricks. That's how you're scoring points, yeah. and it's almost a little bit more Splatoon structure than... not. not it's not... Uh, mechanically like Splatoon, but in terms of there's two teams and you're both yeah. vying for points, basically. Right, right. Um, there's no painting? That'd be cool. No, I don't think there's any painting. It'd be cool if you like a, a, a game type where the goal is to paint the entire that would track. That rad as hell. That'd be cool. I mean, we gotta, you know, call yeah, in. We'll Just, call hey, 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 guys. On Rush. Hey, folks. Uh, what are you fighting on? It's Codemasters. Right? Uh, PS4. Okay. okay. Uh, but briefly, I think one of the other reasons, other than this is like fresh and it feels really good to drive around and be fast, is that it actually mirrors cross-country in a weird oh, way. I was like the captain of my college cross-country team. Right. I was like the little cross-country queen. And what people don't know about cross-country is that it's not just running fast. There's actually strategy and cross-country courses are like obstacle courses. They're huh. usually in the woods. There's hills. There's rocks. There's right. streams you have to cross. Things like that. So this weirdly feels like, and you're on a team with other people and everybody scores points. Obviously in cross-country you're not like smacking you're your smashing, teammate You can just like elbow somebody. I mean that happens. Don't get me wrong. That happens. That's does not it, part cross- of the sport, but that happened. They're throwing some some bows. Damn, you know, really? In the day, you know. Wow. Yeah, there were always like there, there always be like that I mean, one girl you... you knew. She had the hot pink shoes, and like she is, she fights dirty. Damn. Yeah. It's okay. Funny. It's funny, okay. but anyway, like it feels a, a little bit like that. Like you're on a team. You're all sort of individually going for your own race, or you know, in this context, right. for the tricks or whatever it is. But you're all on a team and scoring points for that. So it's this weird and kind of awesome divide of like the team versus the individual performance mm-hmm. that I find really satisfying. Awesome. Also, it feels good to go fast. Yeah, I keep I, that game <laughs> is so high on my I want to play this game list. It's really fun. And also, I wish it was on PC. I know. I know it's coming on P- to PC, and so I just keep, like, going to buy it, but it's, like, a $60 game. Yeah. It's not, like, a no-dollar game. Cheap. It ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. Oh, no-dollar game. <laughs> it's not... Okay, what I mean is, it's not this year's Rocket League. It's not a PS Plus game, yeah. right? Uh, and it's not a $20 game. It's not a $30. It's a $60 game. It's a $60 game. And I keep worrying that I'm going to buy it and then try to find a match and not find one. But it sounds oh, like really? the community's I'm having healthy. no problem. Okay. I mean, on PS4, again, okay. you know. I just don't want to buy it twice. I should just buy it. Just, I mean, There's so I'm much... having a really good time with it, so right, right. it There's gets my so recommendation, cool. uh, personally. And I'm also playing more Prey. Moon Crash. Moon Crash. Moon Crash is really good. I heard you met yourself in that game. I met myself. I met uh, Dr. Deanna Riendo, uh, who's like a character in the game. I thought it was just like, oh, that's cute. There's like a, you had a body. You sent it to you and said like, yeah. oh, look, your name comes up. Riendo comes up. Right. But there's like emails. There's like a character. She's like an evil scientist. It was, it was weird. 
That's it's weird. a little weird, uh, but awesome. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah you know, I you know, I've made you it made in it life. To pray, you live in. Pray I now. live in pray. Okay. I got distant, killed. Siphon well, <laughs> in pray. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Rob. No, I mean, I, it doesn't sound like you live in pray, right? Right. Like, yeah. I don't but, think I'm like, alive. If you have to die, you have to die somewhere one day. Why not know, on the why moon? Why not on the moon? Exactly. Playing lunar basketball. It's it's awesome. I'm really loving it. It's really hard. That's the other thing. Oh, really? Did you hit it's the point? It's not easy. Because when we talked last week, I don't want to say that like you were having an easy time of it, but it didn't sound like you'd hit the run-based stuff that much. Yeah, I've gotten to there. So wait, tell, talk to me about the structure. Because like, sure. you know, some stuff that we didn't really know was like, well, do you have to go back to being the first character over and over yeah, again? Yeah, you keep dying. Okay. You do. But if you advance, so you, it is a thing where it's like... If you advance, it means you have to unlock, not only unlock those characters, but beat it with those characters in it, order to, to get the full, you know, to, to beat it, quote unquote. I've not gotten, I've not beaten it yet. I have not... How many uh, characters have you escaped with? Just a couple still. Because what I'm doing is I'm working on their special quests oh, as okay. opposed to just kind of like focusing on, all right, beat it with them, beat it with them, now we unlock a new one. Instead, right. I'm like, no, the story stuff is what's... Am- okay. Again... Yeah. I love the story no, no, no. stuff. No, no, it's pray. good to hear that that stuff is so there. So I'm going really, really in deep for their like story quests, so which wait, are harder quests, than just escaping. Are the story quests? Do they change from run to run? Or they change from there... character to character. Right. So the like general quest is always escape. Right, right, right. But each uh, each character has their own story. They have a special story quest within the world, and that. That is the same from run to run. Right, but it's, have you, you have to find this person. You have to find okay. what happened to them. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I guess my question is like, you have that Russian prisoner character. Yes. Have you completed his story? No, because I'm working on the engineer's story. Okay, so so more, more intensely. Sorry, I guess the the thing that I'm trying to figure out is, let's say you complete their story. Mm-hmm. Have you completed anybody's side no. story? Okay, I'm working on the it. The thing I want to know is like, if you complete their story <laughs> stuff. Does that mean that the next time you die and, be, and play as them, do you still have to do that story stuff again? Or is it cleared and you get some sort of bonus for when you're playing as them to escape? I mean, you get points for basically everything that you do. So I'm sure you get the points right. for that. I just want to know if like, when you die and you start over, does it say, and now here's the story mission, like uh, Russian prisoner engin- engineer quest, personal story quest. Does it pop back up? Once you, yeah, I'm just curious. I, I'm not sure, uh, but I, I think you can ignore that stuff if you wanted to, right, certainly. Right, but right. I think it's like the meat of totally of, of part of the game. I know I'm going to go back and keep doing it, and keep yeah. doing it, and keep doing it because that's the kind of person I am. Because I like those mechanics a lot, uh, and I'm really, really diving into some of those the new weapons and sort of the new ways of playing and really cool. having fun with the. What engineer. is your favorite new like tool or weapon? Or there's whatever. a glue turret. Oh, it's wait, awesome. How's that work? It just glues the shit out of everything. Okay, so it's just doing the, like, combat glue. It's not, like, building... No, it means building stuff, too. So you can, like, use it to kill an enemy and then climb up all the stuff oh, they Oh, okay, made. cool, cool, cool. So it's, That's awesome. like, really fun. Nice. It's good shit. Anyway, Prey Moon Crash is awesome. It is also still on my list of things. Is that, it sounds like a, a version of that game that I would like a lot, given the stuff. How many zero-G segments are there? Uh, none so far, but there are lunar gravity. Oh, so they did segments. do the lunar gravity. Yeah, they thing. did. They about. super did. Good. There are areas where you enter normal gravity in like indoor areas, right. even though you're always on the moon. They don't quite explain this, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, and then there's like when you're in the dome, but you can see the Earth and you can yeah. see the lunar soil. Those are lunar gravity. You know, maybe one day there'll be a moment where they show like. I think there's a log in the first game that say. says how they make no, the fake no, gravity. That's it. It's that's, not just a spin thing. That's anyway. gotta be it. Yeah. Um, awesome. Austin, your list is long. This is it. I think that's it. At right now. What? No, I mean the games that you say you want to play. Yeah, dog. It's not like 
I don't want to talk about my life. Um, <laughs> Rob, well, you're playing the division. Okay. Mm. See, yeah. this, see how much how much easier it is than talking about my life is. Like, hey, Rob's playing the uh-huh. division. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's uh-huh. so much easier than. Okay, I don't have yeah, any we'll free time. Another pod. Yeah, yeah, I'm that's playing the life. division. Uh, you know, in these troubled times, I was like, I need some apolitical fun, <laughs> uh, and so I just got locked and loaded and tooled up on the streets of New York. Uh, where, you know, just various forms of evildoers and ne'er-do-wells As it were. are uh, yeah. up to some kind of meaningless activity uh, <laughs> that is just not good for the people of New York. Right. Um, and obviously, of course, you know, the people you're fighting are not the people of New York. Anyway, point is, don't worry about it. It's all good. But anyway. Check out this gun. Uh, That's the point is, you see this cool gun I got? Left trigger, right trigger. Left trigger, right it's, trigger. Yeah. Politics is easy. Trigger those. Try to be in the center, left trigger and right trigger. You know. Ah, we home at the same time. I don't know. Special abilities, probably. Uh, Abilities. So I wear. You know, I declare my allegiances uh, on my sleeve in the division, and my allegiances are to uh, functional, Uh uh, slightly form-fitting but utilitarian urban chic. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's that's kind of my aesthetic, mm-hmm. and uh, those are going to be my politics gotcha. uh, in the world of the division as well. No, but actually, so I've ended up um, kind of trapped in the division, uh, like literally trapped in a safe house, uh, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because you're not so su- safe houses are supposed to be hub zones, right? Kind of go to and like leave from and go have adventures uh, from. But I want I wandered into Times Square. That's and a cool the safe late house. game area. So. Yeah, and it, it is cool, um, but the problem is the if you exit the safe house at the end of each end of the block. Uh, so if you go if you if you go um, north out of the safe house, uh, you'll you'll run to one group of enemies that has like a group of elite enemies led by a named enemy, yeah. and if you go south, you run into a similar group. Yeah. Uh, each of which are a little too strong for me to take on by myself, but I hate playing with people. Gotcha. Uh, so I'm kind of soloing the division. Well, I, I like playing with people, but sometimes it can be aggravating. Yeah. And so I'm just mostly doing the quests. The trouble is, I can't get out of this goddamn safe house uh, because I keep wandering into gun battles with these these like no matter which direction I go, I'm probably going to pull aggro from one of these two like patrols. And they are just—they uh, are so tantalizingly within reach of right. me being able to solo them, but not quite. Yeah. And so I just keep chain dying and running back inside, uh, respawning in the safe house. And I'm like, this time, this is—I'm not going to play like an asshole. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, see, save my beating myself. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, this time I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. This time I'm gonna I'm gonna be conservative. I'm gonna make full use of cover. Uh, I'm I'm gonna use suppression. Gonna use all my explosives. It's gonna be great. Uh, and I get these guys. The, the 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 boss enemy in particular is the one that usually does it. I get them so close, and then they just sort of bull rush me, and I break cover and just get gunned down like Butch Cassidy and Sundance. Uh, spoiler. That's yeah. That's a big oh, spoiler. No. 
that's the end of the division. Actually, is is they just you go and do Madison Square Garden, and everyone just watches Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's great. It's really mm-hmm. everyone's happy again. Awesome. Um, building on that, we have a question in the question bucket that I think is is worth hitting before we wrap up. Uh, if you have a question, you can send it to gamingadvice.com. This one comes in from. Jupiter Doomsday. Oh. Which, what a fucking good name. Good name. What a good name, Jupiter Doomsday. They write, co-writer and animator of Indie Darling Night in the Woods, uh, the co-writer and animator of Indie Darling Night in the Woods, had a GDC talk this year called Let's Nuke Possum Springs, and there's a segment about the importance of political directness, quote-unquote, in video game narratives. Basically, he mentions how AAA video games will tend to take the icons slash images slash logos of a movement or a time period, but will never tackle the politics that come from that aesthetic or era and don't apply it to anything meaningful into the game's narrative. Scott Benson, who's the the person who's talking, then uh, proceeded to criticize this tactic as a form of tourism. Um, This had me thinking about the recent, quote, mature AAA games these past years, such as Bioshock Infinite, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, Augs Lives Lives Matter, uh, Far Cry 5, Detroit Become Human, and and, and Polygon's recent interview with the Division 2's creative designer, uh, denying that their game has anything political to say as the prime examples of this. So my question is, how do you feel about this? I'm curious about what your thoughts are on this lack of political directness, quote unquote, in the games industry and whether or not it amounts to anything harmful or might actually impede on the game industry itself. I think there should probably be an added bit here, which is that Yves Guimont, uh, the CEO of Yubi, what is, what is, what is, yeah, yeah, CEO, uh, had, uh, there was an interview that ran in The Guardian today, Keith, Keith Stort ran it, um, uh, that was basically Eve saying, I'm going to just read this quote uh, directly. Um, so, uh, quote, our goal in all the games we create is to make people think. We want to put them in front of questions that they don't always ask themselves automatically. We want players to listen to different opinions and to have their own opinions. Our goal is to give all the tools to the player in order for them to think about the subjects to be able to see things from far away, from far enough away. And then Keith adds, uh, uh, in effect, then Ubisoft sees itself as making games that have political themes but are also politically impartial, question. And Eve's responds, that's right. So the player is part of you speak with people who have different opinion from your own. You test different things so you can improve your vision of that subject. That's what we want to do. We don't want to say do that. Think like this. Our goal is to make sure after playing you're more aware. And like, I didn't know the woke gamer was doing interviews. Oh, there, the woke gamer is it. Uh, Gimo goes on to basically say that like, well, we can't. You can't have a distinct. These are simulations. These aren't statements because you have a player, and when you have a player, you know the player is the person who's going to make decisions. It's our job. This is a quote. It's our job to make sure you feel free to go one way or the other, to make actions and to experience the consequences. Which is bullshit if you play Ubisoft games mm-hmm. because they often do not let you take choices about how to tackle this stuff. Like it is not that that particular line of argument. Like here's a thing that's. that's I'll say it's a better answer. I think the beginning of it's this is least... a better answer. I think the beginning of this. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't like don't. When I'm saying a better answer, I'm not saying it's a good okay. answer or a satisfying answer. I'm saying he has thought about this question being asked and has a response <laughs> that is formulated not just... that at least that feels as though like oh shit, like someone's uh-huh. gonna ask about politics, like because in. 
it's an answer as opposed to our games are okay, political. Wait. There's no politics the in American flag. That, that's this not is, an answer. I want to be clear. I want to make sure we're painting something right here, though, because he also says this. The long-term goal is why not simulate other ways to live and to work uh, and behave together in video games so that people can experiment with them to see if it works or not. It's the same with technology. The goal is to test new things because as tech is changing, video games can have a chance to experiment with what will happen in the future. You'll be able to see it in a video game so you're aware of what may happen, which is just – he is just stumbling forward yeah. at that point. Yes. Yeah. Like, you're right. I think the very beginning of this is thought is th- is thought out even if I disagree with it, right? I do think – I right, think. I think yeah. it is and also he's a CEO, right? But but like the the there's a version of what he starts with here, which is we want to put we want to ask questions to our players that we hear in film and in literature and, and in TV all the time. You talk to the and take advantage of the, the, in, the unique interactivity of video games, which allow you to like explore uh, yeah, your own. Which like, is still a shitty <laughs> answer, but uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it only gets worse and worse as he goes on because you then get to think about what Ubisoft games are and they don't do this and that's part of the major problem no they're like they're just introducing now the idea that like pick who you want to have sex right. with so like don't act don't, don't, don't act like <laughs> You're these the games have like profound like ethical and moral ch- like choices that like give you agency over the story yeah. and because uh, that's not that's you know I mean Watch Dogs in particular like the most political of their fran- I mean maybe not maybe the most explicitly Watch Dogs 2, certainly like, yeah yeah, uh, but yes, like, I mean, you know, it's not a, like a long lineage in their games where it's like, where they explore that specific thing that he's that he's touching yeah. on. Um, what do people think about this this notion of political directness, though? This idea of like, hey, don't just lift the iconography of a social movement or a political movement. Like, engage with the issues. Try to try to have a story that has some thematic through line that is uh, aware of that history and maybe saying something of value. Danielle's yes. nodding. Yeah. I, well, I mean, it, it just has always struck me as being very immature and cowardly, frankly, to kind of use the window dressing without ever actually taking a stand or, or feeling as if it was actually making some sort of value judgment of, hey, some things are better than other things. Some things are worse than other things. And it's good and okay to take a stand on that and draw a line in the sand and say something about those things. Mm-hmm. Specifically, um, I know there's a huge thing with you know marketing versus what's the content of the actual game. So sure. the whole Augs Lives Matter thing was really rough, obviously, because of what it was appropriating. And as I understand it, I didn't play that game. That's the thing I was mm-hmm. to sort of say. But as I understand it, the game didn't necessarily waffle as poorly as that marketing did. But that marketing definitely like told me something about how they thought they were positioning this game and how they were stumbling with something important and that you shouldn't stumble with, basically. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of good examples of games in the mainstream space that have done Something useful uh, with this that have had have, well, you know, Mafia Three to some yeah. extent had at least some mechanics that that said something interesting. Totally, uh, with well, and, regard and to the the neighborhoods you could be in and how fast the cops would be called. Totally, basically. and like and like actually seemed like where they were using those that that iconography and that language and like a shared history of of uh, symbols felt like it was being used to evoke that thing. It yeah. was not kind of decontextualized and then recontextualized, like reterritorialized into a position. Separate from politics, which is what happens again and again and again, right? And Far Cry Five is obviously a pretty, yeah, pretty easy one uh, to draw about. from. There's a really great—I'll just shout this out—really great campster video about Far Cry Five and how hard it tries to not say anything yeah. whatsoever, and that's just like 
watch that video. Like, it's just a really good deconstruction of a lot of the symbols that they use, a lot of the, the cult stuff, a lot of the sort of Tea Party stuff that they use. And how far they go to yeah. not say anything with it is it's like instructive and fascinating. So, well, like, and I think that there is also something here which is I'll, I'll, like a layer under that to think about the Gimo response to this stuff, which is like, well, we need players to have agency and to be able to choose, and we're just kind of putting out a buffet of political positions. Is like shrugging it's it's this sort of like disavowal of responsibility um or disavowal of curatorial or creative like power uh, you have you think about something like far cry 5 there are a lot of a lot of decisions went into making those characters and making the filling that game with with you know different npcs who said specific lines of dialogue that gave you specific quests the same thing is true for the same thing is true for Watch Dogs 2 which barring some serious problems i actually think does a really good job of having whether or not i agree with it a pretty clear political through line or not even just just political but social thematic deep big picture ideas about authority and about freedom and about youth and like all of these things that if if you played that game, you'd come away with it thinking about specific things and having well-crafted perspectives on that thing. Uh, I, I, again, I don't think it's a perfect game by any means, but like you can point to it and say, oh, here's, here's the stuff that's at the heart of it. And it's so hard for me. Even something like, um, like uh, uh, The Division is clearly – there are through lines about authority, about uh, a crisis, about response uh, – like the American response to things. Like that, that stuff is all in there and it's so frustrating to have the waffling. Not because what I think any of us want is like tell us your games hate Trump. <laughs> Like that's a real that would actually be infuriating. Also, yeah. is like if the division two ah uh, maybe would be I'd be so taken by the directness that I'd be like yo wow I can't believe that never Yves, seen this Yves before. Yves came out and was like uh, well uh, fuck Donald Trump uh, <laughs> and we wanted to be clear uh, so that would be that would be well, I mean like Far Cry Five like right. when, you know it invokes like the 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 the, the, the quest for the Trump right. tape which right our 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 own company made. Mm. Mm. Um, so uh, you know, but that 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 quest falls completely flat. Like it's not funny or interesting, partially because it like actually refuses to engage with like the joke it's right. making, and it's not a particularly well written joke. But even in the instances where it says like, "All right, motherfuckers," like we're not just gonna wink, we're gonna like wink with both yeah. eyes, <laughs> double at wink. What's going on? But it doesn't actually. It, it waffles in the process of even like going that far. Um, you know, I mean, I think you know. Danielle, you were looking for games that, you know, uh, try to do this. I think Mafia 3 was a good example. But I think the example, the counter examples that, the opposite of that is, like, Bethesda's Fallout right. games, yes. right? Like, which are, like, are, like, uh, not, not like, uh, entirely, but largely, like, ape a certain uh, aesthetic from American culture without actually engaging with, like, what it means to, like, have a game that uh, doesn't just use that as aesthetics, but in, like, a lot of ways, like, looks as that as some sort of, like, Platonic holistic right. ideal that is aspirational, and if you're going to do yeah. that, then at least there should be some sort of conversation about like what's wrong with <laughs> yeah. that. It's like and th- and that being the ideal, and uh, like I, I am sure there are quests that do deal with that, and like like I can't remember my entire like hundreds of hours in Fallout, Fallout New Vegas, and Fallout Four, but like I would say like like a big picture, that's not necessarily what the Fallout games are doing, even if they do it at the margins within some right. quests. Like the games often feel as though they are taking a certain uh, aesthetic without actually engaging with 
the consequences of the aesthetic in its time period. I think that one, you could say the Fallout One and Two absolutely engage with that stuff. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Then, right, totally. But Fallout. then I think with Four, a game that I think I like more than most people. I think it really materializes that, like literally reifies it in the design of the game because the core new addition is you can transform the world to be beautiful again. You can make it the 1950s like uh, uh, kind of nostalgia, retrofuturism that the world was before the bombs dropped and ruined everything. And yes, I actually do think that if you start digging through computers, you will still see the good writing of, of those teams that's like, yeah. oh, well, here's how this corporation was in was an arms manufacturer and blah, blah, blah. So it does touch that stuff. The Fallout games are political. Oh, like, yeah. In no, in no way of am course. I going to say like they do not like engage with like uh, political ideas or take take positions and like uh, I'm but just they, saying like as a right. like big but picture. But they increasingly uh, sort of have under Bethesda's under Bethesda's reign under Bethesda's uh, uh, output <laughs> tutelage <laughs> tutelage yeah, under, under Bethesda's tutelage. Uh, they've increasingly moved away from using that aesthetic as as a critical aesthetic and moving towards it as like celebrationist. Rob, you look like you had some yeah. some deep Fallout thoughts. Uh, no, I mean it was ba- it was basically to the point of like under Bethesda they've certainly lo- like the the aesthetic has gone from being an ironic counterpoint to the message of the stories to being an, a brand mm-hmm. uh, in, in ways that I think are dangerous. Like the opening the opening shot of Fallout is of a summary execution with right. American boys waving to the camera uh, as they murder someone, uh, and the entire like backdrop of that universe is like you know these people were all basically fucking nazis right <laughs> like that's kind yeah. of the backdrop right here, uh is is that like it's it's an america where uh you know civil rights movements uh leftism new deal like none of that ever happens really and it just like goes all the way down to uh you know new like unhinged nuclear age uh nihilism no i've been i'm losing my mind trying to find um a review of the dark knight rises that i thought was by a Jacobin mm-hmm. mag, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem to be. Uh, but basically, it was a review arguing that Nolan's picture was like in love with the spectacle of class uprising, and uh, like, and literally, like Nolan in prepping for that film was like screening things like Battleship Potemkin mm. and Doctor Zhivago, mm-hmm. and like once you have that sort of frame of reference, it's not hard to see the ways that like The Dark Knight Rises is sort of like. Aping and referencing these these other pictures, uh, in you know, in its construction, but all of it is done with this sort of politically neutral message, right? right? Where it's where it's like, it's in fact the the image of like class solidarity and people taking to the streets is of a bunch of cops marching up towards I think the stock exchange. Yeah, I think yeah. so. It might be city hall, but like literally, that's the big like climactic confrontation. Right. Is like you know a bunch of cops in dress blues charging heavily armed. Um, whatever the fuck Bane's army is like, what do they stand for? I don't know. They're League of Shadows. The League of Shadows. Uh, L- love. I. Uh, yeah. Equality. Not really. I yeah. Don't. Just. Uh, yeah, just chaos for chaos's sake. Yeah. But it, it was basically this this idea of like people find the imagery of these things mm-hmm. compelling because these images have power because they become symbolic of movements and moments that they're associated with. But then people get just allure, like hypnotized by the the allure of the image itself, mm-hmm. and they just want the imagery divorced from any of that context that originally gave it power. And I think this is the frustrating thing about sort of the way people 
freely appropriate imagery and scenarios that are historically resonant is because what you are contributing to is this idea that, for instance, like Ricky Gervais carrying a fucking microphone like a cross. Oh, my God. Like that the new atheism is somehow comparable with the passion of the Christ, right? That those are those are somehow two things that are that can be equated via an image that you can make make one equal. Right. One. I mean, like we we open this podcast by saying by talking about our frustrations with the the discourse around civility this week mm-hmm. and the images that that the right has been bringing up in response to members of an administration who are actively separating families or who have been actively separating families. Comparing them being politely asked to leave in one in one instance uh, a restaurant uh, because literally the people who work at that restaurant are the sorts of folks who are targeted by those policies. Um, comparing those to civil rights uh, to 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 Jim Crow laws and the era of, of the civil rights marches uh, and and to the recent uh, case with the with the cake maker uh, in Utah is that no Colorado in Colorado um, like. That sort of like mapping, that sort of like the draining of content, the retention of an image of the spectacle, and then the mapping onto like a like a fucking overhead display, like uh, uh, like a transparency that, that you just have the sketch of. Like, oh well, now we're the ones who are being hurt here. You're right. Is like so detrimental to the state of discourse because now you're just like boxing shadows you're not talking about the meat of the thing or how those two things actually are meaningfully different it's like this distinct oh sorry go go for it i was just gonna say it's this very distinctly like sneering postmodern sort of uh, way of looking at the world versus the having feelings and being caring and being very modernist in your approach to the universe but it's even wild because like those people will say that we are the ones who are the postmodernists for whom there is no truth even even as they discard truth, right? That's like the Jordan Peterson line. Uh, Rob, what were yeah. you? Yeah, it's it's just like this idea that if you can create an image like that if somehow you can sort of stage a moment where you can change the framing where you are now in the position that because of cultural because of culture, because of like pop popular memory, if you can position yourselves aesthetically in the position that oppressed people on the side of righteousness once stood once stood that you can then somehow claim you know by this like transitive power of aesthetic their cause and their righteousness right Right. that like you know if like that fucking boy she's taking her 15 minutes but that kent state open carry (laughs) yeah oh god (laughs) um like this whole idea of like you know once again it's just you know some brave young activist standing up for her beliefs on, you know, the grounds of Kent State. Yeah, fuck off. And that's the same thing, right? <laughs> because it's Kent State again. It's, you know, it's an unpopular, is, it's an unpopular view. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's kind of how it, it all reads to me. Is like as we, as we sort of use these images thoughtlessly or to make them a little more resonant and powerful because they don't have meaning in of, of themselves in the way we're appropriating them, uh, we are leeching the original thing of its meaning in popular memory and making it easier to it be. It turns it into an right. ice level. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and like, and maybe here's. It's not like the American flag is not just like, oh, we need right. a fire level. <laughs> so it's like, you mix it's like, no, like, but that's what, that's essentially like what a lot of this does, like what Rob's saying, when you sap it of meaning, of context, of symbolism, of importance, you're left with just aesthetic trappings 
as as though they didn't mean anything in the first place, and you're just swapping in X to Y because we well, need to look at something totally. Different. Well, like, and here is the challenge. I think if you're listening to this and are in the world of artistic production, especially if you're in the world of video game production, if you're developing uh, games, the challenge that I would leave you with is is that instead of instead of only looking at ways to We've been talking about two cases so far. We've been talking about cases in which uh, a game apes the iconography of a real political movement but does not copy any of the the, the kind of political uh, uh, weight behind it. We've been talking about cases where they do both, where they both bring on the politics and the, the, the iconography. What I would love to see from, from uh, game developers uh, is the creation of new iconography – that leads out the other direction, right? Like there is a degree to which, you know, the the end of the Benjamin uh, piece uh, on on uh, the aura, the the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction, ends with him basically saying like, "Hey, look, the the fascists uh, they have they have uh, aestheticized politics, right? Um, they have taken the, the all of our their political stuff and and." Turned it into banners and turned it into into posters and into and into you know uh, uh, recorded speech and into taglines and into catchphrases and into little pamphlets you can carry around um, and have made it aesthetic has turned it into aesthetic objects that are that communicate the holistic terrible like truth of of the Nazi Empire. We should do the opposite and and uh, politicize the aesthetic. And he doesn't like that. Doesn't turn into sadly. Here's ten Buzzfeed article. <laughs> ten ways to politicize the the ten aesthetic. Cool yeah. But if you're in the world of game development, <clears throat> I think that and and are politically active and want to engage with this, not just engage with it enough. And you're that in you're a not, position of power where you can make these creative decisions. Totally, which I think is the. The worst, uh, yeah. Or at least this in, is where or, the biggest disconnect might totally, be. Totally, but yeah. or at least in a position where you can engage and push or and advocate push for and it. advocate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, consider it a challenge to make stuff that we want to carry from games into the real world, right? Not just the aping of the political stuff that's already out in the world, but make make an ice level not in the sense that. It's just another ice level. But in that, Patrick and Danielle and Rob and I all know exactly what he meant when he said an ice level. Do that for politics in your game. And, yeah. and you know, sometimes you're going to make a, a top-down shooter where, like, that's not maybe the vehicle that you can dig deep into that stuff. I'm not saying that games that fail to do this, but I'm saying if you're interested in this stuff, I would love to come away with a symbol. You know, I think it's funny they bring up uh, the 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 Jupiter Doomsday brings up um, Night in the Woods and like Night in the Woods is filled with political iconography. Yet the one that I see uh, taken away from most is like the character Greg doing his like crimes dance. Yep, and like give me that, but like a little more praxis. <laughs> You know, crimes, but make it fashion. You know, yeah, there you go. Um, and and I think that that is actually an interesting an interesting challenge. I'd love to in five years from now be like, oh yeah, this this symbol or this phrase originated from this really interesting game that X Y Z. And I think there's already some things that bleed in that direction, but I'd like to see even more of that. Yeah. All right, I think maybe that does it for us today. Um, Rob, one more thing though. Yeah, Eve. Yeah, it's not like the Division Three. You're building toward like, and in Division Three, we're going to give you answers about how to structure society so these crises don't happen again. Like, fuck off. Like, Division Three is going to be fucking the Republic or something like that. Like, Division Three, you need to get to Polemarchus's safe house and figure out how to structure the society to be more just and to make sure the right kind of people rule it. 
Well, what like, if that, okay, no. So counter argument: What if that's already the Division Two, and they're doing the thing that we that we feel like they're doing with Shadow of Tomb Raider, and they're just like, uh, but we're never going to say that out loud. And that Maybe. that's the part that feels like it could be really detrimental to this. To part that's one of the things that could be detrimental here is I don't know how does Isgamal respond to this in a way. I fuck you know I don't give a fuck about Isgamal. He's the CEO of Ubisoft. He's living fine. But if you are the if you are a writer on a game like this. And right now you come out and you're like, you know, we think America is in a place uh, where they are treading uh, closer and closer to to fascism. And we think that's a, a real problem and blah, blah, blah. There you're drawing a target on yourself. And I'm not this is not an excuse, but I am saying to some degree the culture needs to be adjusted and needs to be pushed into the direction that we can have the sorts of conversations that film directors have. I think the way to do that is to start having those conversations and to do what journalists have been doing around Ubisoft stuff this year, which is pushing back and demanding more answers and, and, and more uh, like genuine responses. Um, and, and also, if they talk about it more, then you're not – if everyone has a target on their back, then nobody has a target on their back. Like part of the reason that there's such a vitriolic response from certain sh- shitty segments of the internet when a developer or designer or whoever goes out in a limb and actually explains like the ideology behind what they're creating, <clears throat> what they're trying to say, is because they're going out in a limb, right? right? Like it's a culture – like a culture shift has to happen where – that's, That's part just of the more cycle. of an open conversation that people are having. Look, look at the difference between uh, – and part of this is like the audience of different sports, but like the way right. politics is discussed in the NBA versus the way politics is discussed in the NFL. Like the NBA, which like has a different set of audiences that are a little more left-leaning, is true. But um, it's it has a culture in which the reporters, the, the players – the coaches, the, uh, the the top down, the, the the owners, like the organizational, like the the league wide, it is a culture in which like politics is just what's going to talk about. So you'll see the occasional quote that like makes it through, and like Popovich or, or someone says something really striking about um, like what's going on, but it doesn't create like an enormous like megaton like reaction because that's just part of the culture. But in the NFL. Um, partially because, you know, you have, you know, fuckwads like Trump, like, you know, picking, you know, uh, deciding to pick a fight and there's like a certain culture, um, uh, behind like the fans of the NFL, uh, but that's just a culture where they don't talk about it. So in, in the same way, if, if everyone begins discussing it in this like larger sense, then it just becomes part of the conversation around video games rather than like one person going like, ha like I'm going to f- actually point out what's going yeah. on here. I, there's also an element of, honestly, if I were writing for the division two. I wouldn't want to talk about it right now. Like genuinely, I would want to like, I would, if anything, I would like the work to be able to sort of spring its message via the, t- you know what I mean? Like I would not want to be the brand of like, we're going to speak truth to America in its current situation <coughs> because then it just turns into another cultural proxy. And I'm not sure. Mm. Like I would want my message to reach a fucking audience that maybe isn't coming there Already knowing what they think of my story, right? But contrast that. Ways. Contrast that with the way film directors talk about their movies, right? Where like, so the the, the one that I pulled up really quick because I knew I would find it. I didn't have this. Yeah. This wasn't in my back pocket. I just literally was like, I wonder if uh, if uh, Guillermo del Toro said stuff about Shape of the Water in this way. And so writing about or, or responding to a question about Shape of the Water, uh, he says regarding the the fish monster man yes. in that movie. If y'all have seen it, he is he is as other as it gets, and he is saved by the others by the invisible, the silent, the nameless coming together to rescue him. That's a political statement. And that's all that is 
being able to speak clearly about the, the, the thematic through lines of your work without saying the word – he doesn't say gay. He doesn't say queer there. He doesn't say disabled. He doesn't say black. That's what he means and that is what that film supports is that the, the characters who come to, to the aid of this fish person are a black woman, a disabled woman and a, and, and a, uh, a queer man, yeah. right? And like that is – the heart of that film is is finding love and finding community uh, in the margins at a time where America is at its its most regressive and its most like uh, uh, troubled in, in some ways, right? Not I mean, the most troubled, but is in a troubled and, and regressive moment. Um, and so, like, I don't know that it is so much to expect that from again, maybe not Yves Guillemot, who is a CEO and is, but from a creative director. Like I, I don't know that that's such a high expectation, and I don't. I'm not. I don't. Pete Hines says it. Well, Pete Hines says "fuck Nazis," which is which is easy yeah, sort, to say. Sort sort of, but like if you actually read the, then the quotes of them, the developers, the developers of Machine Games actually sort of backtrack yeah. from the political position, and then and then it ends up undercutting the stuff that like Zenimax or Bethesda, you know, like the the corporate side of it, which then just feels like they're just like capitalizing on like popular sort of rhetoric as opposed to actually believing and yeah. like I still like it say fuck Nazis on stage right, like right. that's good like that is a capital G good but it's, it, it, it's, yeah, a, little it's more, a little anyway Rob part of me wonders oh, if this is also a Hollywood versus games divide though where it's much safer to say this kind of thing in Hollywood totally. versus uh, the game industry which is still perceived in a lot of ways as being a very immature very conservative sort of place and world Totally. Which is not to say that people shouldn't say no, but those fuck Nazis there. and we should be looking for, for, you know, unity in the margins. Like, those are good things to say. Those are important things to say. And I think people should say them. And I used the word cowardice earlier when talking about right. this. But I wonder if that's just sort of the result. And I, and I would love to see people pushing against that. I would love to see people feeling like they can push against it. And have like things like labor unions, right, so they feel like right. they can push against these things, and they won't lose their job for saying something like, "Yeah, you know what? Fuck this. This is this is fucked up." Or here's here's some ideology I put into this game. I'm a writer, or I'm a I'm a level like, designer. I, here's I, something I wanted to say. I don't even think anyone needs the. I here's the ideology I want to put in the game. I here's a message. Just mean, like, I, let me know. let me articulate this, right, or, or, I, or feel comfortable articulating that. I you feel know? like creative directors, narrative designers, writers. Artists, like level designers, are all such creative people, yes. and many of them are are deeply capable of speaking eloquently about the ideas that go into their designs and that go into their writing and that go into their work. They have not been asked these questions. They have not received media training on good responses in a lot of cases. That's for sure. the, we, I know for a fact that a lot that there are PA, PR agents who are like, "What is happening right now in this space?" Because we were just at E three and talked to people um, who are surprised by the response to this stuff because it hasn't been an issue because it hasn't been a talking point. You. We got real good at how do the guns feel. Mm-hmm. We got real good at what's the progression mechanic like. How many levels what's are there? What's your release date? What's your release date? <laughs> how, you know, <laughs> how many classes are there? We got, I don't want to be clear, we got really good at how do you make a, a compelling cover-based shooter in a field where there's lots of, that's an interesting question. I, I'm not taking away from how do you, how does flight, how did you get that feeling of flight in Anthem where it feels like it's like a little shaky? That's a cool question. I'm not saying get rid of that question. But we're, we haven't made developers 
answer these questions until now. And I think that the develop the, the industry will get better for for it. And you'll even see people who are really good at answering those sorts of questions. Um, and I, I think that we'll we'll hopefully see that conversation continue to happen. Uh, Rob, you had you had one more. No, I note think here. it's more that I'm, I'm just thinking of the the comparison to like Del Toro speaking about Shape of Water and. Isn't he speaking at that point though? By the time like there's a there's a movie that he can refer to that people have seen, and he, he's like he's interpreting, he's discussing the text of the film that is now out there and people are reacting to. He's joining in a discussion that can now actually happen. Totally, totally. But and but I, press tours are filled with this sort of thing in in film. Mm-hmm. They absolutely will talk about what the what the big picture ideas that they wanted to hit were, and they won't be as. I mean, this is a very textual answer that was about like. The, th- the last third of the film, so yes. Um, but we also don't see that in, in games, right? No, and like, and that's what, like, these answers have been bad, and they've been, like, aggressively naive to the point they're, inf- <laughs> like, infuriatingly disingenuous. But I, I think, for me, it's more, like, so I'm playing The Division 1 right now, and something that I think would, like... I think the reveal that, like, there's this last man battalion in the game yeah. that is all the, like, basically the private law enforcement, private military contractors, all the one percenters, the minute the shit hits the fan, call in their own security forces to look after their interests. And then while they're there, they decide, <laughs> fuck, fuck it. it, fascism makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yep. And they go for it. And that's kind of your big bad in the, in the division that slowly, like, that picture comes into focus over the course of the division, which is actually kind of a cool reveal. You don't run into these guys right away. They're not positioned as, like, you know, the people in the big tower in the middle of the map you've got to fight. Like, you know, they, their, their revelation as the main, like, antagonist uh, sort of emerges over the course of the game. And I guess that's kind of what I, what I mean by, like, that's the kind of text that I'm not sure can be foreshadowed so effectively in a press tour. But that's only because they fucked up that game, Rob. Because 12 hours before that, I killed a black woman who was saying Black Lives Matter. In her, in her fucking prison oranges. Like, a game that's actually coherent, a game that actually has a through line that is about what happens when the world falls apart. What happens in our moments of crisis? How do people mm-hmm. who, who can, if they actually stick the landing on that stuff? And if, if as Eve suggests, this games are supposed to be a place for us to experiment and explore perspectives and fill in the gaps of their own understanding and consider, you know, positions that we don't traditionally do, then they can have that more general through line and they can make the case. Well, in the division, we're imagining a world that's falling apart and we're, and we're trying to understand, we're trying to look at the ways in which the positions you already held before a crisis impact the way that you handle yourself and handle community and survival after the crisis hits. That's not hard. I bullshitted that 10 seconds ago. <laughs> they made that game for three years. If there is a clear, coherent through line, if they're not, the last man battalion stuff is rad. Like, I actually love the end of the division for that reason. I also think that mechanically it all comes together there. But because the rest of that game is just fucking flailing and because it doesn't do any of the shit that Eve says he wants his games to do, he wants Ubisoft's games to do, which are about looking at different perspectives, it, they can't come out and say that stuff. And because it would be a spoiler, because what you're saying is yeah. true. But, like, it didn't have to be that way. It could have been another way. And I hope with the Division 2 – they're able to do that. They've had that response. People have said that it feels so strange to have us spend the first 
you know, 25 hours of that game killing poor people and black people and, and you know, city workers and then to suddenly pivot to like – and to do that without any – any there's never a moment where like, oh, shit, we've been killing the wrong people for the last 30 hours. There's never a like, ah, if only we could have talked our way out of that one. It's just the thing you do. You left trigger, right trigger. And I – it's so frustrating to me to – foreclose the possibility that they could have done better there because they could have and it would have been you know I think a lot of people would be like man they really stuck the landing and instead not so much sorry to like blow up at you there but like ah it's all right there it's all right there and just like no sir and to be <sighs> fair like at this point my infection my experience with the division is so compromised by I've heard right. about the end game before I've gotten to it right so right now like like when I'm hearing the radio messages being like, you know, there's this last man battalion. Here's what they're up to. I'm like, ah, effective foreshadowing. I see there's there's a larger game afoot in New York. And then uh, it's like, now go murder these Rikers. And I'm like, yeah, all right. But even in the, the audio messages in that game were wild because it's like there's that's a felt like a like a band aid being added. There's definitely one of those radio messages where it's like you heard the Riker, the people have got out of Rikers, and then like their fake Alex Jones is like, yeah, but most of them are in there for like stealing for whatever. stealing yeah, or like yeah. marijuana charges. I, don't I think, ended up there myself once. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like maybe we shouldn't kill all them. Like uh, if you gave me the option, if you gave me the option, I would go another way. All right, I think we're gonna eject on this one. We've reached. We've we're way past our time. For yes. the third time. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people follow you, Danielle? At Danielle or I. How about you, Rob? At Rob Zachney. Patrick? Follow everything yeah, Waypoint does. Twitter.com slash Waypoint. Facebook.com slash Waypoint Vice. YouTube.com slash Waypoint Vice. And Twitch.tv slash Waypoint. Obviously, you can go to Waypoint.Vice.com for all of our stories and everything else that we do. Uh, and thanks, thanks, shout outs. Thanks, shout outs to thanks Bowen shout-outs. for letting us use the track. Miss you off the EP panel machine. Find out more about that at Waypoint.Zone slash BOE. And if you have thoughts about this stuff, swing by our forums. You can go to Discourse.Zone for those. I think that's a good place to go. Shout out to the mods uh, uh, for, for, for all uh, the work that they do. All right, everybody. Oh, deep breath. Yeah. Deep, deep breath breaths. out. I'm going to get some more water. Danielle, what do we tell them? Be good and be good at it. Peace. I give the red hen three Pinocchios. <laughs>